Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. We're, today. We're really glad today because we're already giggling. <laughs> <laughs> so today we filled a hole in our education of crime entertainment. True. We filled a hole in our movie watching. That Yes. The Big Lebowski. Filled a... It filled it filled a hole. It, it filled, did. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of ways well, to fill holes. <laughs> Jackie feels that her hole has been filled with refuse, and I feel like mine has been filled with mirth. So that was a beautiful way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> to say you didn't like this movie and I did. Yeah, that yeah. was beautiful. It was far more poetic. <laughs> I had a lot more crass things in my <laughs> mind that I could have kind of like the movie. <laughs> it was it was extremely crass. This is not a movie you should share with your children. No, not your not, children. I mean, not even like your teenagers. Like my son's fifteen, and I would be really iffy. I don't know. It kind of sounds like a bunch of fifteen year olds. <laughs> I think that was my problem. Is <laughs> it sounded like a bunch of drama kids, like drama theater club kids in high school going and when they're given an assignment to go do a skits or whatever and then they all they try to do is shock and awe by just dropping f-bombs over and over and over again and they think they're so like edgy and you're like story i don't know acting yeah dialogue that is you know more intelligent like that i mean the whole movie they might as well have just walked around going fart (laughs) (laughs) okay well see and i saw it differently how did you see it that the story didn't really matter which is funny because i have pages of recap to do to talk about the story (laughs) because we're going to talk about the story but the story doesn't matter not so much it doesn't it's more of frame of mind and okay i will say though that had it not been had the dialogue been a bit wittier Rather than base. Okay. I actually think some parts of it were hysterical. I, thought, I do love the friends. Yeah. I think they're hysterical. Yeah. I do love dude. I think he's great. I actually think the story is kind of simplistically hysterical. I really liked a lot about it. And yet every time yeah, I got like kind of pulled in, they had me in their corner right up until the end of every scene. And then I'd be like, oh, good. Now we're back to fart. That's that's what I heard the whole time. Okay. I'm surprised. <laughs> you I thought really, I was going to love it, I right? Really th- I really thought you would like this movie. <laughs> Can I, I, it's one of those, I didn't watch it with my husband because I'm annoying to watch movies with when it comes to <laughs> watching movies for this show because mm-hmm. I take a long time. But he was like, well, how was it? Because he's not seen it either. Really? Yeah. And I said, it was good. I don't know if you'd like it. And he was like, that's enough. I don't need to watch that's it. That's enough. <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah. um, but I kind of liked it. I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm more than kind of liked it. I you really, really liked, loved I it. I really kind of really, I like saw the absurdity in it. And yeah. that, like, and that was really funny to me. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> that is totally fair. Yeah. I can, okay. I can, I can see it. Yeah. Well, let's, shall we talk about 
Yeah, the we movie. Should, we should like, we should recap. Like, I mean, we've talked about the movie, but let's talk about let's like, recap it. Who was in it? And then yeah, we'll recap let's it talk and, about that. Okay, so it was released March sixth of nineteen ninety eight. It's written and directed by the Coen Brothers. Ooh, yes, yes, Joel and Ethan. They've also done Raising Arizona, Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Bad Santa, True Grit, and many, many more. A lot of really wide variety of kind of movies. True Grit is really different than The Big Lebowski or right. Fargo. Though I think Fargo and Raising Arizona and The Big Lebowski are all kind of a a niche that the Coen brothers have really perfected. Mm-hmm. Maybe they hadn't quite perfected it by the time they got to this movie. Well, you know what? Know. Lots of people really do love this movie. <laughs> and I can see well, it. And it did ter- terribly in the box office. As it like, should. It, <laughs> it was like had like a $5 million budget and only made under $15 million in the box office. But the cable airings, which we'll talk about a little bit later, really kind of helped propel it. And it's up near $50 million of earnings now. And I can totally see why the cable airings would be better because uh, they were edited. And so you didn't have all of the fart jokes. They're hilarious. (laughs) They changed some of the dialogue because, you know, there's only so many F-bombs. Yeah. But, and by so many, I mean none. Right. That you, you take can that drop away, on- I might have loved it on cable. Because that was where it lost me. They just keep going back and forth and back and forth with it. And I'm like, oh my God, just get on with it. Yeah. But if I had seen it on cable, I think the the silly, the absurd comedy-ness of it probably would have played better for me. The scene where John Goodman beats up the car. <laughs> See? Hysterical. It's... I will... Remind me to play it for you before we leave today because it is so funny edited for cable. Really? Yes, it's really good. <laughs> See, and I liked that scene. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Jeff Bridges is the dude. His first big movie was probably the last picture show. And that was a long time ago. And he, you know what my son knows him from? What? Tron and Tron Legacy. Really? My son loved that terrible Tron Legacy movie. Wow. When he was like 10. I love that. He just liked the light cycles, I think. Mm. They were uh, fancy motorcycles. And mom's <laughs> like, oh, as long as you live in my house, you're not riding a motorcycle. And so <laughs> he's still really fascinated with them. That's but so I funny. think he's kind of over it. Anyway, he was in The Giver. He was also in True Grit, mm-hmm. another Cohen movie. That and I lots loved. and lots more. Mm-hmm. I love True Grit. It Me was too. great. John Goodman was Walter. Obviously, he's most famous for The Big Lebowski and Roseanne. Do you know what my favorite movie he's in? What? Fallen. I don't think I've seen that movie. <gasps> oh, that was one of those direct-to-VHS movies <laughs> back in the day. Uh-huh. Um, but it's Denzel Washington and John Goodman. Oh, you've mentioned Fallen is fantastic. Mm. He's so good in it. Yeah. Oh, you. Yeah. Write that down. Uh huh. Yeah. I did. We're gonna have to, you know, consider mm-hmm. that for. I don't know future. that it's it's not crimey like at all though. Oh. So it doesn't really go unless you consider like demons crimey. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Crimey enough. I might could take demons in a crimey direction. Okay. Ooh, we'll see. Challenge accepted, right? (laughs) I'm still trying to work out how we're going to watch the fifth element. I know, right? For this for how do for we do podcast, All right, everybody out there you got to find a way you have to rationalize yes. why killer fun should watch fifth element and talk about it yeah because i really want to it's like really i don't pick favorite movies much like i don't pick favorite print songs really i mean except on my podcast where i do that but <laughs> <laughs> but 
it really is one of my favorite movies. I love it. So my son knows John Goodman from Monsters Incorporated because oh, he was definitely. the voice of Sully. And when he was a baby, he would he would wake up from a nap and he'd go, "Mommy." monsters he was like 20 months old and i was if you will not scream at me for 20 minutes i will let you watch monsters (laughs) that was such a delightful movie he was also in another coen brothers movie how oh brother where art thou and of course lots of other stuff steve buscemi is donnie he was he's been in a number of coen brothers movies most notably fargo where he talks a lot, and in this movie he gets cut off all the time, so it was kind of funny. He's in so much. He He's was in, in Con Air. He was in Con which we covered. Yes, and no. he was the voice of Randall in Monsters uh-huh. Inc. Yeah, the little crossovers all over Reservoir Dogs, lots and lots more. He's in a lot. He's always nice to have in a movie because I feel like. He always brings something that nobody else can bring. Yeah. He just has a has a way about him. And he can look just as pitiful as he can psycho. Yeah. You know what I yes, mean? And like, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whereas he looks crazy and... Oh, I'm not supposed to use that word. Oops. <laughs> we talked about that last but time. <laughs> <laughs> Where he can look mentally ill, literally. Mm-hmm. He can also look like... You just want to scoop him up. I know. Take care of him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Julianne Moore is mod. She was in The Kids Are All Right and Still Alice. David Huddleston is the big Lebowski. Jeff Lebowski. He was in Blazing Saddles. Philip Seymour Hoffman was Brant. Of course, he was in Capote and lots of other stuff. Tara Reid is the wife bunny. American Pie is probably the thing she's most That's what I remember her from. And then... A cameo. I don't know if you noticed this, but Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the nihilists. Yep. Yeah, which I thought was pretty fun. I love Flea. Yeah. And there was a couple of other familiar faces in there, too. Yeah. You know, uh, just the cast all around. It's really good. Star studded. Which is partly why I'm like a little surprised you didn't like it more. I know. Well, Sam Elliott. Mm hmm. The Stranger. I, as I'm about to start my oh, recap, I'm yes. like... Talk about Sam yes. Elliott because I, he's always great. He's always great. Always. And he, so he's our na- narrator. Mm-hmm. He's His name is The Stranger. So we have The Dude and The Stranger. So he sets the stage for us, Sam Elliott does. It's the early 90s. Every town needs a hero. Jeff Lebowski is the hero that LA needs because he's lazy he wears a robe to the grocery store and he writes checks for 67 cents to buy his half and half for a white Russian. The dude, Jeff Bridges, returns home and he's attacked because people want to know where the money is. He's in this really crummy apartment. Where do they think the money is? I mean, yeah, for, I mean, seriously. <laughs> he doesn't have any money. Does it look like he's married? This is a bachelor's apartment to the nth degree. This is like a frat college, or no, no, the guy who was blackballed from the frat's college apartment. No, it's the guy who sold all the frat boys pot. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the apartment that that's he's That's the apartment. In. Yeah. Not, not anything stronger. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just the pot guy. The guy you call if you, you know. That's right. You want a little pick me up. Yeah. Which is legal in some states. Yes. Was not legal anywhere. In any states at this time. Yeah. They kind of realize that they're wrong. One of the attackers pees on 
the dude's carpet. It was very upsetting. Well, I would be upset too. I, I would be upset too. It, was, it pulled the room together. After it pulled all. the room together <laughs> because it might be the only thing worth looking at. Yeah. <laughs> and my favorite line from this whole scene was one of the attackers picks up a bowling ball and he says, What's this? And the dude says, well, obviously you're not a golfer. I'm like, that's See, awesome. that's witty. Yeah. More of that. <laughs> yeah. And then he drops it, all breaks the tile. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So there are more scenes in a bowling alley than anywhere else in this movie. Yeah. You would think it was a movie about bowling. And is there it is. a movie about bowling? It's I- kind of a movie about bowling, but not really. I feel it like, doesn't matter. I feel like the bowling alley was just their, you know, central perk. No, okay. <laughs> it was their place. It was just their place. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. go get coffee at Central Perk, where how I met your mother was at the bar uh-huh. downtown. Or This you is know, the, the bowling alley. Is and this thing. is the bowling alley. This is their thing. This is where they're at with their awful beer. Yep. It seems like the, this is what these guys do. These guys, uh, they bowl a lot because they're good. They are they, pretty they're, good, they're, actually. They're really, well, I don't know if they're good. I know that Don is good. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> and they're obviously unafraid because the dude puts on rental shoes without any socks on, which was Which I'm like, gross. if you own your own bowling ball, buy some shoes. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, so the dude tells his friends, Walter, John Goodman, and Donnie, Steve Buscemi, about the incident. And Walter very much, it's like, put it, the rug pulled the room together. It was, it was the ongoing joke. It's really funny. Walter also uses it as a teaching moment. <laughs> Chinaman isn't the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. Which is funny coming from this large, foul mouthed, angry man. Is really funny. So they decide that since rich Jeff Lebowski, the big Lebowski, is the one who's actually married to Bunny, whose debt these two men were trying to come and collect that he's really responsible for the ruined rug because it pulled the room together. You know what? Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I was on their side here. Yeah. So the dude ends up at the other Jeff Lebowski's home office. Brant, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the assistant is talking about the virtues of his boss and really talking about his generosity. And he's agreed to send these kids to college. And isn't that great? And they're underprivileged and all this stuff. And then Lebowski comes in in his wheelchair and he is a combative man. Very much so. He said he didn't urinate on the rug. So why is it his fault? His wife's overspending isn't his problem, so he doesn't want to be responsible for it. He also refuses to call the dude the dude. Is it Mr. Lebowski? No, the dude. Or dude Reno, if you're not into formal. <laughs> That's really <laughs> funny. And then as he's leaving, the you know, the Lebowski's shouting at him to get a job and to be responsible because I don't know what that has to do with his rug. It, it, it does doesn't. nothing. Yeah, it's just a way for him to feel it more important. Yes, yes. Whatever. He uses the term Chinaman, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Really pretty quick callback, but yeah. funny. Then Lebowski tells Brant, he said to pick any rug in the house. <laughs> so he's leaving with a rug, and they meet Bunny, who's applying green nail polish to her toes and is very obviously, both because of her youth and her behavior, um, 
only interested in the Big Lebowski for his money. Yes. It's very clear. Yes, it's extremely clear. So back at the bowling alley, we learn a little more about Walter. He's hung up on his ex because he's watching her dog while she is out of town. And he also takes his bowling very, very seriously because he pulls a gun on someone he suspects of cheating. It's a league game. We don't go over the line in a league game. Yeah, he kind of loses it. Uh, yeah. he he. I, I don't even know what the right terminology is. I, I gotta think about it. But like when that happened, I was like, "Ooh, that's extra. That's extra right there. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's that, a little much." That's that's somebody who's really kind of over the line with the bowling. Yeah, I mean, it's talk about too important to you. The filing cabinet just exploding, right? Yeah. Like it's like when you open like a bag of M and M's and you're too excited of, and they all go everywhere. Like yeah. this was him right there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Back at his apartment, the dude makes himself a white Russian, his drink of choice. And in which I thought was really funny, he was making it in front of a poster of a bowling Richard Nixon. And there's all kinds of discussion about that on the internet about why that was funny. Because I I noticed it and I thought it was really funny that he had a picture of bowling Richard Nixon because the dude doesn't seem like somebody who would like Richard Nixon, but he likes bowling and he can really respect <laughs> that Richard Nixon was also a bowler. There Maybe are, it was lost on me too, yeah. I guess. But there's a whole thing about this out there. There's huh? a, like a whole big thing. Wow. So he's listening to the messages on his answering machine and uh, Bunny's been kidnapped and the Big Lebowski wants the dude to be the courier to meet meet up with him. So then we then meet Jesus, the sex offender at the bowling alley in his purple outfit and I think that's important only because the only thing that matters about Jesus in the movie is that he's a bowler. It doesn't really matter that he's a sex offender. Right. And I bring it up because supposedly there's going to be a big Lebowski follow-up that's going to be starring Jesus. Hmm. And it's not Jesus, it's Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, the irreverence. The, the irreverence, complete irreverence. Yeah. And, and that guy, John, uh, was it Totoro? Yeah. He's always a little funny. I mean, he can, he can, uh, he can play a lot of different kind of ways. He yeah. can play legitimately scary and also legitimately ridiculous. Yeah. You know, he can play it both ways. But yeah. I have no doubt that Hollywood will try to follow up on it because that's all they know how to do these days. Well, true. So the dude speculates that Bunny kidnapped herself because she needs the money, but the dude's willing to take the $20,000 that have been offered to him and the beeper. The beeper. The beeper. The pager. The dude enjoys his new rug. He's laying on it. It's comfortable. He's relaxing to the sounds of the Venice Beach bowling playoffs from 1987, which is a <laughs> weird thing to have on your Walkman. But okay. Okay. He opens his eyes to a woman and two men standing over him and they punch him. He has this weird, trippy dream. <laughs> weird, trippy dream. And he wakes up to his beeper going off and a missing rug. So Brant provides the dude with a suitcase that purportedly has a million dollars in it in order to get Bunny back. And the most enormous early 90s phone oh yeah imaginable i mean huge like i don't carry a purse this large (laughs) (laughs) 
So the dude's supposed to go alone, but he needs a little moral support and help. So he gets Walter. They're supposed to throw the briefcase off of a bridge. Walter throws out a ringer full of his dirty underwear, which I was like, oh, well, okay, that's where she's getting fart from, I think. Because, you yeah. know, it was full of his dirty underwear. Oh, well, that's true. I'm just using fart as a, um, you know, a stand-in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Know, okay. For other middle school fun words. <laughs> Walter's going to get Bunny's location from the people at gunpoint. So he jumps out of a moving car that he's driving (laughs) and his gun that he was going to get the location of Bunny from the people who were taking the money who supposedly kidnapped her. It hits the ground and it's like an Uzi type and like shoots the back of the dude's car and shoots out his tire and three people leave on their motorcycles with the ringer bag. Yeah. And oh, well, Walter wants to bowl. That's good. (laughs) So the dude's really worried that Bunny's going to get murdered. And all Walter cares about is that the league game that they've advanced to is supposed to happen on Saturday. He doesn't do Saturday. No, he's Shomar Shabbos. He does not roll on the Sabbath. Yeah, the Sabbath. The Sabbath. He doesn't roll. (laughs) He doesn't roll. They decide it's time to leave. And since they have a briefcase with a million dollars in the trunk, but the dude's car is missing. Yep. Where is it? It's gone. So the dude talks with police and he reports both the car and the rug stolen, separate incidents. And then he gets a call on his answering machine while they're sitting there and it's Maud. I have your rug. And they're like, oh, good. One of them's answered. We don't need to worry about the rug anymore. We know who has the rug. The whole thing is just ridiculous. <laughs> so the dude goes to the art studio and a woman's in a naked in a harness hurtling down a huge hallway, throwing paint at a canvas. This is Maude Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Her dad is the, the big, big Lebowski. Lebowski. She took the rug because it had sentimental value and she's convinced that her father is broke and orchestrated the kidnapping in order to be able to get the money from the children's education fund. And if the dude recovers it, she'll give him 10%. Then he can buy his own rug. Lebowski is angry. The kidnappers have sent him a tow. The big Lebowski's angry. He's The kidnappers have sent him a tow with the same color or polish that Bunny was wearing. And he's going to tell them to come after the dude for the money because he's the one who lost it. And the dude thought she'd kidnapped herself, but now he's not sure. Walter assures him that it's not Bunny's toe. He could come in possession of the toe rapidly if he needed to. (laughs) The dude's in the bath listening to whale sounds, contemplating his toes. The cops call and say they found his car. He's very relieved. And that relief is very short-lived as three men in black break in and throw a ferret into the bathtub. It was so funny. It was, I'm glad you found that part funny I did. because I, found that I hysterical. just, I laughed really hard at yeah. that. Like I not only had to pause to take notes, I also <laughs> had to pause because it's laughing really hard. So the dude gets his car back, but the briefcase is of course gone between that and the three men. They were nihilists, which means they believe in nothing. nothing. Yeah. The dude doesn't even want to bowl. It must be really bad if the dude doesn't want to bowl. So the dude has brief run-ins with the stranger, the narrator from the beginning, Maude, a doctor, a man in a blue VW, all before finding a school report in his car 
the name on the report is Larry Sellers. So the dude, Walter and Donnie all go to Larry Sellers home to inquire about where the suitcase or briefcase might have ended up. There's a new sports car parked out front. This is the one I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they believe that Larry got the money and bought the sports car. And Larry's not saying anything. And his dad is in an iron lung. So he doesn't have a dad to tell him, hey, give us more information, I guess. I don't know why that what the iron lung had to do. It goes with the absurdity of it. Yeah. And I just kind of accepted all the absurd things. So Walter tries to get the info from Larry by smashing the car, but it's the neighbor's car. It's not Larry's car. Larry didn't buy it. Larry doesn't care that the car is smashed because it's not his car. It's not his car. Also, he is a young child. Yeah. And cannot go buy a sports car. Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I mean, he was probably 15, 16, maybe. Yeah. 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 So the dude's worried when he gets back to his apartment and he puts a chair under the doorknob and nails a board into the floor for good measure. And it's a shame that the door opens out. Yep. Which is a terrible way to have a front door. Don't live in an apartment where your hinges are on the outside. Yeah. No, that's stupid. It's dumb. It's dumb. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't. It's the two guys from the beginning of the movie who wanted the money in the first place. And they said, Jackie Treehorn wants to see the dude. Jackie Treehorn is a publisher of pornography and he used to work with Bunny. He doesn't believe the kidnapping story. I, I, try, I don't know if he's trying to find Bunny. All this bit was really unclear to me. Yeah, I don't know what he wanted. Uh, yeah, I don't exactly know because he takes a phone call yeah. and writes something down and the dude goes over and scratches the pencil over it to yeah. see what he wrote down and it was a pornographic doodle. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, which then I, he kept. Yeah. Then Jackie Treehorn comes back and inexplicably has drugged the dude's yeah, drink. Like he's all like, oh, yeah, he's all on the floor. He's all, I don't, I don't understand, mm-hmm. but he has a very entertaining dream. I really think the whole tracky treehorn thing was just to be able to give him <laughs> this dream. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how he dreams every time he gets something, you yeah. know, gets him knocked about, you know what I mean? I like he gets knocked out and then he has like this dream of great, some sort. Yeah. Really fun, unusual musical filled dreams none of my dreams are that musical no mine neither you you don't have musical dreams Mm -mm. i would i would see and i don't sing but you do so i always wonder if but no i don't have really musical dreams Mm. the dude awakes when he's getting picked up by actual cops he's being chased by cops in his dream and then is also picked up by actual cops they just want him to stay out of malibu yeah and they let him go put him in a cab and he gets kicked out of the cab because he doesn't like the Eagles. And, and as he's getting kicked out of the cab, Bunny drives by in a red convertible and she's in possession of all of her toes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the dude returns home to find his apartment completely trashed, but Maud's there. And um, she's uh, looking for some extra friendly relations. She is looking for some benefits. Yeah. She's not just looking for benefits. She's looking for a baby. Yeah. She's no strings attached. She doesn't want anything from the dude. I think it's really weird that she wants a baby from a man who has the same name as her father. It's a little weird. Yeah. They never address that. 
Anyway, so the dude calls Walter, and even though it's Shabbos, he says, I need you to come and get me. It's an emergency. So as he waits, the dude confronts this man that was in the blue VW bug earlier and finds out that he's he's a private investigator named Defino, and that Bunny is a really a runaway named Fawn Knudsen. She's like 17. So as the men drive away in the van that Walter has come to pick the dude up in, we see the nihilists ordering pancakes, and there's a woman with them, and she is missing a toe. Yep. All still bandaged up. Uh-huh. But also in a boot with the toes cut off. It was weird. Well, I guess it hurt. I, oh, yeah. Wear but, flip-flops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm at. But, you know, it was weird. They're nihilists. They have to have appropriate foot color covering. I guess They so. don't believe in anything except, you know, well-protected feet. Yes, 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 yes. Even if the toe is cut off. Yeah, exactly. So Walter and the dude are going to see the Big Lebowski because he really didn't want his gold-digging wife back. And the briefcase never had any money in it. And... Walter says he sees how this is important, but it's not an emergency, and he's annoyed to be driving on Shabbos. So they arrive at the Big Lebowski's house, and Bunny's car is crashed into the fountain. And she was just in Palm Springs visiting friends the whole time. Just walked away. Yeah, just Mm -hmm. walked away. Went for a weekend. Yeah. Maybe tried to earn some money. Who knows? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) The dude accuses Lebowski of stealing the money, and... The Big Lebowski does not deny it. And he says, I have the appearance of wealth. Who are they going to believe? So the dude, Walter and Donnie are all leaving the bowling alley later. And the nihilists have set the dude's car on fire. And they threaten to kill a girl they don't have in their possession, which they know because she's, they just saw her at Jeff Lebowski's house. And there was never any money. So the nihilists say, well, we'll just take whatever money you have on us, have on you and this, call it good. That scene was so funny. And it was like $10. There was like this legitimate moment where I was like, now that is just so funny because the dude is all, yo, we don't, you don't have her. We just saw her. And then the nihilists are like, oh crap. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Well, well really? What? You know, uh-huh. we have this like camaraderie moment. Where they're like, we were all scammed, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and they're oh, we'll okay. just take we'll whatever, take whatever you. you've got on you. Yep. Yeah. And they're, the dude's like, we're getting off easy. And Walter's just itching He's for a living. fight. He's like, yeah. no, it doesn't matter how much money we have on us. We're not doing this. None of it. So they engage in a fight and Donnie has a heart attack. He passes away. Mm-hmm. And the next scene we see the dude and Walter are going to collect Donnie's remains and they balk at the $180 receptacle. Cost. Yeah. The urn is the receptacle. He kept saying the, the receptacle. receptacle. Yes. Our most modestly priced. Yeah. Yes. That's Our most what it was, modestly priced receptacle. <laughs> Next we see them going to the beach with a coffee can. A Folgers is, coffee can. Yes. They couldn't even get them like good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> No chasing Sanborn, <laughs> nothing like that, like Folgers. Well, they just needed the least expensive receptacle. Largest <laughs> receptacle they could get. So they go and they, you know, give him this kind of like sweet eulogy and go to dump him in, you know, because he was a surfer and the dude ends up covered in his ashes. <laughs> See, so that scene was so great. They honor Donnie by doing what else? Bowling. Bowling. Yeah. Bowling. 
So the dude chats with the stranger, and then they both, the stranger and the dude, utter the most famous line from this movie, The Dude Abides. In fact, Jeff Bridges won an Academy Award, and people were really annoyed with him that he didn't start his acceptance speech with The Dude Abides. (laughs) So here's what we learn, and here's what we don't, now that we've come to the end of this movie. Maude is pregnant with a little Lebowski. That's what we do learn. We learn that. What we don't learn is that if the dude and Walter ever make it into the bowling finals. We don't. And we don't know what happened to the money or if there was ever even money. Like this whole thing was about kidnapping and money and saving this girl. We don't know what happens to Bunny. We don't know what happens to the money. None of it. Because ultimately... The plot doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. We also, we also don't know uh, whether he got a new rug. Right. right. We assume that he's going to find a rug that I ties ho- the room together. I hope he does. I hope he does in a new place. Yeah. <laughs> don't think it's going to happen. No. The dude does not abide with that. <laughs> the dude does not abide with mm-hmm. moving. Yeah. That's a bummer, man. Bummer. <laughs> bummer, man. <laughs> Roger Ebert initially gave this three stars. Okay. But he changed it later to four stars. Really? Because he decided it was culturally relevant enough. Interesting. Yeah. How often does he change his rating? I don't know. I don't think particularly often. Hmm. The dude is never actually drunk in the movie, but he's never really sober. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Which Uh, is kind of funny. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) This movie has inspired an annual convention called The Church of the Latter-day Dude. <laughs> Which I think is really funny. It's kind of a Taoist That's so sort funny. of thing. And then I have to share the dudiest of all dude sentences in Roger Ebert's review. The film is all about Jeff Lebowski's equanimity in the face of vicissitudes. Which is funny that that's like the dutiest of dude sentences because you don't get the idea that the dude is educated, but the dude is smart. The dude just doesn't care. Yeah, he just doesn't care. This was the ultimate Gen X movie. Y- yeah, that's fair. We, we had a lot of smart people in our generation. Very, very smart. But a lot of us just didn't care. <laughs> Whatever. Right. We're all very, very Daria about it. <laughs> You know, oh my gosh, Daria. We're all and very like very my soul called life. You know, oh my gosh, Whatever. I loved that show. Me too. I did. I loved it so much. I was so I was so sad when they didn't renew it. Oh, it was just heartbreaking. I, just, well, I, I mean, more Claire Danes and more Jared Leto, please. Right, please. Right. So here's some facts about the Big Lebowski. In December of 2014. The Big Lebowski was one of 700 culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant films preserved for future generations by the Library of Congress's film registry. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I I missed something in this movie. Maybe maybe it needs another watch. Maybe it does. (laughs) Maybe it does. So the Coen brothers, they knew the plot would be confounding to viewers, and they said it just doesn't really matter. <laughs> so if you're confused by the plot, just try it. Maybe, maybe I came into it with that idea that I knew the plot didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe that's why I liked it more than you did. I don't know. I really, it really was for me. Like every scene, even the simplicity of the plot, the story, like I was totally fine if the, if the dialogue had just been more witty and they mm-hmm. didn't just de- like devolve into this yeah, middle school. A lot of cussing and, yeah. And I, I mean, it's not like I'm opposed. It's not like no. I'm like, ooh, my uh-huh. ears. Yeah. You know, but it just had no, it was so overused in it mm. and they just relied on it in every scene to be funny that I was like, oh, come on, guys. See, and it just felt really real to me because I've known people like Walter. Yeah. And maybe a little bit like the dude, too. Well, and like them, yeah. But the constant, mm. as it, it's like the, like so when you're a kid and you learn like a new like phrase you and, use it a lot. and you use it a lot and then you think you're so cool and then somebody's saying it back to you and it just seems like, you know, when like off the chain became a thing, and everybody's like, oh, it's off the chain. Yeah, it's off the chain, off the chain, off the chain, yeah, yeah. off the chain. And you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's not cool anymore. It's not Stop cool saying. anymore. You've ruined it. Like yeah. they ruined the F-bomb. It no longer has any impact at all. <laughs> Fair. That's how I felt about okay. it. So, like, the, every scene was hysterical in its own right, you know? And yeah. Like, but there was just this, I don't know, this potential for such wittiness. And then they resorted to this very, like, mm. middle school. Okay. You have to stop it. You stop it. You stop it. No, you stop it. No, you stop it. Throwing an F-bomb in there does not make it funnier. Okay. That's me. I don't okay. Know. The dude is <laughs> present in every single scene. It's film noir. So I did not realize that until I started thinking about it. So in fact, like when the nihilist crew are ordering their pancakes, mm-hmm. the dude and Walter are in the van outside. Oh, interesting. So they're in literally every, every single scene. scene. Yeah. It's a little surprising that it gained its notoriety. The movie did its notoriety on cable because the F-bomb is used 260 times. Maybe that's why you tired of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. But the, the, any word, yeah, any word that you have to use 216 times, 260. Oh, gosh. even more. Yeah. Okay. Any, I'm almost any word, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's except for like a, the, I, and you and me and we, anything else you got to say that much. I don't yeah, know. It's too much. It's like midichlorians. I mean, can we just stop saying midichlorians? <laughs> like, you know. As somebody who's watched all the Star Wars movies many times, many I times. can appreciate that. <laughs> so there's a version of the Comedy Central that has Walter when he's beating up the car. One of the phrases that he utters is, do you see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? <laughs> It was good. So see, we're, that, also, that scene, not so bad. Because see, it was more, in, it, it was intentional there. Right. It was part of a bigger thing. That, that That's was a fair. funny scene. Yes. So <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with, is it true? Is it true? <laughs> is it true? Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. I'm dad. The podcast where nerdy dads talk nerdy fads. We talk life, entertainment, and give advice to those who never asked for it. Like, anytime I do anything, my brother calls me a thought. What do I do? Or, best college degree for a supervillain. So go smash that like button. Find us wherever podcasts live. Uh, Where's that, Jared? A magical place called the internet. Like Spider-Man and Elsa's shipping videos. (laughs) Dad, I'm hungry. Wait! Alright, so is it true... I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> it, t- it was a little creative. I had to be a little a little creative in how I came up with some of these yeah. because there's, you'll see. <laughs> 
So the big Lebowski didn't want to be responsible for his wife's debt. Right. Now, really, probably legitimately not responsible because it was an illegal debt owed to a pornographer and she was underage, which I guess people didn't know or chose to ignore. Really responsible but not really responsible. I don't know. But legally, yeah. Where does let's this talk, lie? Let's talk about legally. Well, if you come into a marriage, the debt that you individually have when you come into a marriage, your spouse is not responsible for. So you okay. kind of get a clean slate. So if you have student loan debt mm-hmm. that you come into the marriage with, then your spouse isn't obligated to pay off that debt. Okay. Not even if like the worst happens. So yes, even if the worst happens, I guess you're not. They're not obligated hmm. to pay that off if they incurred it prior to the marriage. Okay. So if there's debt acquired prior to the marriage that you're both involved in, like a mortgage okay. or a car payment, and your both of your names are on the you would car still note, be then responsible. Then you're responsible. Okay. But if it's Debt incurred individually prior to the marriage, your spouse is not obligated to pay that off. Okay. Where you live matters. So there's community property states. So all income, assets, debts that either spouse incurs or obtains during the marriage is equally distributed. Okay. So if you get married and some one of you runs up a credit card debt, you're both responsible for it if if you live in a community property state. Mm-hmm. Or if one of you wins the lottery, you both win the you lottery. You both win the lottery. Now, that's only a handful of states that are that way. <laughs> and my my printer cut off some of those states, so I'm not going to list them. <laughs> in equitable distribution states, your income and your debts are can be separated if you need them to be. Okay. So like if you're going through a divorce, you can say, well, this person bought this extravagant piece of jewelry for themselves, then I'm not responsible for that debt. You can, if you're going through a divorce or whatever. Gotcha. But if the spouse incurs debt that's things for the whole for both spouses or the family, then that debt is owned by both of you. So your spouse goes out and spends a whole bunch of money on a beautiful diamond ring for you. And then you get divorced and he's still making payments on that ring. You also have to are responsible for that debt. Okay. Yeah. That's just kind of how that works. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He said that he gives her a good allowance and that she had to stay within it. And if she didn't, so that's very interesting. So he would kind of be responsible for that because what she bought, well, I don't know. It would depend uh, on whether yeah. it was considered. Yeah, and if it was something that he benefited from, mm-hmm. which Boy, I don't know exactly. Sticky? Yeah, it's, it is sticky. That's sticky. That's Maud had Maud. an unusual painting style. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what are some un- other unusual painting styles? Yeah, I'd like to know I that. to go where I to find out the real thing. That was such an extravagant situation there for uh-huh. such an ineffectual thing. I mean, it seems so inefficient at least. Well, but I mean, it's I, splatter paint. Unusual painting techniques. Mm-hmm. So there are people who 
paint underwater in the Black Sea. They have scuba gear and they take their canvas down and they have proprietary paints that they use and they don't really look that much different than something that would be painted above the water, Mm. but they were painted underwater. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There's a man who paints with blood. Oh, I've seen that. It was it good? Is it interesting? I saw a little uh little miniature documentary kind of yeah. thing. Uh it was very weird. It was very Yeah. Very it, interesting. It was, it's more of a shock value thing. I think it's more of a shock value thing. Yeah. There's a lady who paints with a basketball, which I was kind of excited to see how she did it. Hmm. I was like, ooh, I bet that's really interesting. It's really not all that interesting. She just dips it in the paint and then like rubs it on a canvas. And she's very good, but I really wanted it to be like a, I'm going to dribble oh, yeah, the yeah, ball yeah. and like that's going to be the painting. And it wasn't that. And I was a little disappointed. I'd have, I'd have given up some of her beautiful technique and the realism that her mm-hmm. art had if it had a more interesting creation yeah like we're like you're painting physics if you do that right like when you're bouncing it like there is there's something very functional about what it represents yeah so that would appeal to me too yeah Yeah. there's a lady who paints with human ashes she like mixes the ashes into the paint to give it more texture and has since sort of kind of made it a Memorial thing? Yeah, memorial thing. I was going to say, please buy a coffee can for me, but you know what? Maybe a painting. Donate me to the body farm. Oh, yeah, right. Let me go have some use in solving crimes and things. And then there's the guy who paints with uh, dead ants. What? It's like weird, gimmicky pointillism, really. Like he uses ant carcasses to... Those are very small. Yeah, well, that's why it's like pointillism. But, you know, they're not points, they're ants. It's weird. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So do nihilists really not believe in anything? Yes, let's talk about nihilism. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's really like a philosophical viewpoint that says there's no meaning of life, basically. That we're just here. Existential nihilism argues that life is without objective meaning, purpose, intrinsic value even, which I'm like, that's that's a step, step too far. I have a value of human life. That, yeah. That's you know. a interesting. I don't know how people um, get there. It's very cynical. It does. That's why it makes it hard for me to appreciate the journey that might lead somebody to feel that way. Right. Because I feel like it's more of just a reactionary stubbornness, dig your heels in against everything that you don't like. Right. You know, agreed. Yeah, I don't like this. So that means it sucks and now it doesn't exist. What? What? Then there's the metaphysical nihilism. So (laughs) it's the idea that nothing really actually exists, that everything that we perceive is a lie. And I'm like, that's like super matrix, man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that I can understand and appreciate how somebody gets there much yeah. quicker yeah. than the Well, that's more the sci-fi sort of stuff, which you like. I kind of really do. Yeah. So let's talk about some psychology <laughs> in this movie. Walter uses uh, bowling as a distraction. Yes. It's a bit of an escapism. Yeah. So it can be a good thing to use distraction. It can actually 
legitimately ease pain that research they've done has found that certain games like Tetris can reduce cravings for fatty food mm-hmm. or addictive drugs that there are things that you can do to kind of distract yourself. And they did a study on some children, which sounds awful. <laughs> I just realized they were willing participants, or at least their parents had said they would be willing participants. <laughs> That there was a group of children and they were all having surgery. And before surgery, they gave some of them anti-anxiety medication. Some of them played handheld video games and some were given neither, neither video games nor anti-anxiety medication. And the kids who played the video games actually had a decrease in anxiety before surgery. They required less anesthesia and suffered fewer side effects after the fact than either of the other two groups. Mm -hmm. So they were actually less anxious than the kids who received the anti-anxiety medication, which I thought was kind of interesting. I know. It's very interesting because, you know, some of the conversations we have these days is about screen time. Mm -hmm. You know, talk about a buzzword, screen time, screen time. and. Although a lot of what we speak about with screen time is certainly f- true. Right. It's a lopsided understanding. And so the studies are finally starting to come out that have been done that was longitudinal, that kind of spent more time. But, you know, you have to have a kind of an expanded view on on this whole video game and how the distraction works and understand what that is. And, right. Um you know, with everything, you shouldn't abuse anything, right? right. You shouldn't abuse it. But, um, but so yeah, screen time can be actually beneficial depending on the type of apps you're using and how you're using them. And the younger, the better in some cases, yeah. by the way. Um, and so research is showing kind of this, this, uh, a little bit more uh, complete picture right. of what it really looks like. And as with and always going against common wisdom of don't let children under the age of five, watch any television at all. Uh, yeah. There like was a you're lot living of that. in a dream world. There was a lot of that, you know, Oh, I don't give them video games until a certain age. And I, I can understand why people felt like that might, might be the, that common instincts, you know, right. and I can also understand how parents have to make individual choices because what is good for the group is not necessarily good for the individual. Right. So you might say, okay, my child, not so much. We're right. Not doing that. Um, I introduced it way early, but I knew my kids yeah. and you know, I knew who we were and how well, we were. And you introduce it like as a family where it's something that you all do together. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference too. I think. Well, yeah. And we just knew that as parents, we were so techie, that we needed to introduce it when they were at a time where we could really control. That sounds bad too. Control, <laughs> but we could really influence, influence with power <laughs> uh, how they learned about it. Right. We wanted to teach it right from the beginning. Right. Instead of letting them get their hands on it later on in life, when maybe they don't listen to us as much. Right. Maybe when they've seen us use it and not understood it. Now we all have a bit more of a mutual respect for how we should behave with it. And right. Uh, that was good for my kids, you know. Yeah. But screen time isn't the the bad guy. Yeah. There's other things. There's other things. It's more complicated as with almost everything in life. It's more nuanced and complicated than the quick sound bites would have you believe. It's the truth. Yeah. They seem easily distracted. Pretty much all the characters in this. And did you know that if you're easily distracted, you may have too much brain. (laughs) I thought this was interesting. They assessed people distractibility by quizzing them 
on like how often they fail to notice things like road signs or go into a supermarket and get distracted by something and then they forget to buy what they went in there for. And so the most distractible individuals receive the highest score. And then they took MRIs of these participants to look at their brains and compare them to their scores to see if they had differences. Because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe just, they don't. Maybe yeah. they don't. But kind of what they found was that the people with the higher scores had more gray matter than the people who were less distractible. And they think that really what that is, it's, it's like a mild developmental malfunction, that their brains didn't prune back the synapses the way maybe they should have. They didn't, yeah, it get more efficient. Yes, it didn't get more efficient. It just kept those things. And so it's actually a slightly less mature brain. Not to say that you have an immature brain if you're highly distractible, because there are definitely things that you can do to help that therapy, medication, all kinds of stuff. If you feel like you're too distractible, you can fix it. Mm-hmm. I'm not want to tell you you have some immature brain, right? You're not like you kind of have, deformed. You kind of have an immature brain, mm-hmm. and that just is something you need to compensate for. But right, I thought that was kind of interesting. it is really interesting. It's like your brain becomes a hoarder. <laughs> oh yeah, ooh, hoarding brains, hoarding brains. Wow, that's going to be a new TLC show someday. <laughs> the offshoot of regular hoarders. So, but bowling, was it just a hobby or was it an obsession for Walter? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? Well, I don't Walter- know. Because, you know, Walter um, Walter wanted to be there because it was comfortable. Yeah. And, and he wanted to be there and hang out with his friends. Yeah. It was the central perk, right? Of their right. of their world, right? And um, if you don't know what central perk is, and that sounds ridiculous, please go watch Friends. Yeah. This is what I'm referring to. Until the end of 2019, you can watch it on Netflix. Netflix. Yes. And so, you know, I don't know that it was an obsession, but it certainly could teeter that way because he, he started pulling guns. And so when you, when you start getting really angry at something you actually purport to love, right? this is where it turns obsessive. <laughs> so any activity or substance or object or behavior that becomes the focus of your life to the exclusion of other activities... It's begun to harm you physically or harm others in your life, mentally or socially. It can be considered addictive. Mm-hmm. I would say Walter's on the edge. He, he is definitely on the edge. So whereas some people who have addictions to things like gambling or shopping, they might seek to hide it. Walter didn't care who knew that he loved bowling. Oh, no, they were quite so, proud. Yeah, it was... That's what we don't really quite recognize because there are different types of addictions or different types of obsessions. There's different mm-hmm. types of, of toxic behaviors. Right. And see, it's easy to say, oh, you have a gambling addiction because the uh, stakes are so high that when you, when you lose and you get into it, we can all see the harm. It's very, very obvious. It's hard to like tell somebody that bowling is bad for you. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like... Theoretically, it's exercise. Thank you. Right. <laughs> well, theoretically, yeah. Um, but you know, it's just that some of the more normal things that we get addicted to, we don't necessarily think of as addiction because they're normalized, right? So, some, just because something's good for you doesn't mean that it's good for you, right? Yeah. yeah. You eat thirty oranges; they're maybe no longer good for you when you've come to the point where you've eaten thirty of them. Exactly. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I did that with raisins. I got addicted to raisins for a long time. Really? Addicted to raisins. And now I really can't eat them anymore. Yeah. I had so many raisins. raisins. Now you can't eat raisins at all. I just don't really like raisins anymore. I do like raisins, but I can't eat them. Like something about like, I think I want them. And then I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, I've had enough. (laughs) I don't think there'll ever come a day where I can eat raisins again. That's it. Okay. (laughs) I I don't, I don't know what to say about that. They're so like snacky. You could just pop them constantly, big old tubs of them. You could just keep going. I don't know. Have you ever been? Have you ever had like a food thing? Like, or you get like into it, obsession yeah, with it? Uh, yeah, like briefly, not to the point where I like can no longer eat those things. Yeah, I, I should have mentioned pregnant okay. and postpartum. So that possibly. That- Drove my okay, yeah, insane. Like I need raisins. <laughs> yeah, well, like okay. So you say that, and now I'm like, yes, peanut butter. Oh yeah. When I was pregnant with my first child, I literally had to keep, and it was very specific. I had to keep <laughs> a jar of Peter Pan low fat peanut butter and a spoon in my desk drawer because I would be sitting at my desk. And literally could not do anything until I had a spoonful of Peter Pan low-fat peanut butter. Pregnancy is the weirdest thing ever. It's weird. It's so weird. I mean, I literally was like, had to make sure that I always had it on my grocery list when I went to the grocery store. Because there was a day when I was sitting at my desk in my office and I'm like, it's 9.30 in the morning and I'm taking my lunch break. And they were like are you okay? And I'm like, I have to go to the grocery store right this minute. They just like, and it was singular focus. They had, they thought it was crazy. Well, I know my first, and I don't know if I told anybody I was pregnant at that point. So they just they really, really thought, thought you were crazy. I, was crazy. I really think they thought, yep. Oops. <laughs> I mean, I really thought, I really think that they thought I was like in need of medical attention. I'm going to use crazy in the pro- proper term. Yeah. That, yeah, they, they really, really were concerned. They were concerned that they might need to call over one of the psychology professors because yeah. I worked at a university <laughs> and have me diagnosed. But <laughs> that's so funny. My first, my first obsession uh, when I was pregnant was uh, my first son um, with fish sticks. Oh. I really had an obsession with fish sticks. Okay. Mm. I just loved fish sticks, but I've gotten into a few other things where you get kind of like, Ooh, this is my like thing right now. But raisins, yeah, that, nothing has that... ever talked to the raisins thing. So yeah. Weird. So, but you know what? Raisins and peanut butter go together really well. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. You put them on a little celery and some log. Mistaken identity. Now we're going to move into our real life portion. Real life. The whole thing started because... The Big Lebowski and the dude were mistaken for one another because they shared a name. So what are some unusual mistaken identity instances? (laughs) So there was a man named James Stewart and a man named Thomas Burdu. James went by English Jim, and he was the kind of outlaw that you would see in movies. He was like so outlandish and just obnoxious. So he got into all kinds of trouble, killing gold miners, stealing money, murdering sheriff, escaping from jail. He was apprehended in February of 1851. Except it wasn't Jim. It was poor Thomas who had the unfortunate luck to be someone who looked very much like Jim 
and to have a scar above his left eye and missing the tip of his left forefinger. He was like they the were, doppelganger. He was the doppelganger. And he was sentenced to death. Oh my gosh. And of course he's saying he didn't do it. Everybody says they didn't do it. Yeah, I know. Everybody says they didn't do it. He had these very identifying marks. And lucky for Thomas, English Jim didn't stop committing crimes just because somebody else got arrested for his oh, crimes. Oh goodness, he was dumb. <laughs> he was dumb. And Thomas was lucky. And they figured out that he could not have committed a crime committed by Jem while he was in jail. Right. So he was thankfully spared the death penalty. Ooh, that's harsh, English Jim was not. Ah. Yeah. Then we have uh, Gilberto Arajuo and Genivaldio Santos Gama. So Gilberto was a Brazilian car washer, and he was walking down the street, and a man approached him and said... Did you know that you're dead and your family is at your funeral? What? And he's like really confused. So he goes to the church where they're having his funeral and walks in and people freak out. There was another man, Genevaldio, who looked just enough like Gilberto and was also a car washer who had passed away and Gilberto's brother... identified him as his brother and they had a funeral for him and then he crashed his own funeral. That is funny. Mm -hmm. In a very sad, sad way. Oh my gosh. Then we have William West and Will West. Now this is, this is more like our scenario of the Lebowski's Mm -hmm. that they're, they have the same name. So they arrested Will West in the early 1900s. And they looked at his criminal record and found out that he needed to be dealt with very harshly because he had some very, very bad past indiscretions. You know, he evidently didn't even wait until he was released from prison to continue doing them because things again happened while he was in prison. (laughs) And they finally realized that Will West and William West were mistaken for one another but the two men looked really, they were legit doppelgangers. They wow. looked very, very, very much alike. And they had really high cheekbones and they just, they looked a lot alike. And yeah. of course, this was the early 1900s. We didn't have good fingerprinting right. techniques. So there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a really a good way. I'm like, I start, I didn't think about that. Like, there's not really a good way for people to identify right. conclusively if you, you know, oh, yeah, look at these pictures. These two men look pretty much alike. I mean, yeah. I mean, you would hope your family knows you well enough to not, not bury you dead. Yeah. You know, like, but, you know, who knows? Wow. No, no. Yeah. So what's a common mistaken identity now? Hmm. This is an argument to have an unusual email address. Because <laughs> there are a bunch of people who went when Gmail first started and got their first initial last name Gmail. Awesome. Well, there's, but there's people misremember it or mistype it. They forget to put the number on. So these people who have these really, they have a common last name mm-hmm. with just an initial as the first number, they're getting like thousands of emails for people that are not them. No. Oh. Yeah, that's, like, I, you know what, like, that's, and like 
really sensitive stuff, you know, mortgage information oh, man. and medical bills and medical documents Yikes. and debt collectors. And of course, you know, you write back to the debt collectors and tell them it's not the me. wrong. Yeah. They're like, sure. And they'll keep harassing you, you know, something to consider when you're, if you have to set up a new email address, make it unique. Mm-hmm. Something in, uh, more unusual is better. It seems like you just want yeah, something, you know, that, something well, easy, yeah. but you don't. You don't want that. Yeah. Wow. So how much do urns cost? <laughs> Receptacles. Receptacles. A modestly I'm priced. saying it should cost more than a can of Folgers. L- yeah. But maybe less than what the funeral home was trying to charge them. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. So I don't think that $180 is necessarily extravagant. No, I don't think so. But you don't have to pay funeral home prices if you don't want to. There's a lot of ways. If you can plan ahead, not everybody gets to plan ahead. They didn't get to plan ahead with Donnie. They did not. But if you get to plan ahead, you can buy your own urn. So they can cost, I mean, anywhere from $25 or $30 for a normal size urn to, you know, several thousand, depending on, you know, how artisan crafted it is. If you need a more budget friendly, you can do that. They also come in, you can get little tiny ones. So if you have several family members who would all like some of the cremains, you can get little bitty ones and split them up. Or if you want to to, uh, scatter them, which is illegal in most places, just by the pie. <laughs> we're not we're not encouraging scattering. No, we them. are not encouraging illegal behavior. But if you're if you're something you want to do, you can buy small ones and parcel them up to mm-hmm. you know, they love the beach and the golf course and the mountains. You know, a little everywhere. That's uh that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now I had to pull up Amazon and see because uh-huh. there's there's quite a few options available on Prime. So oh, I feel like you don't oh, have to plan you ahead. Really, you don't really have to plan In fact, ahead. That here's hard. quite a few options uh, with free one day. Oh. Um, so and there's a very cute little box here that's wooden carved and it's sixteen sixty nine and this is a little bit. Um, it's by sixteen sixty nine. I mean it's sixteen dollars. Uh huh. Yeah. And sixty nine cents. Um, but. It's one of these boxes that I've realized that I also have one that looks very similar. And now I'm wondering if this box wasn't meant to be an urn. Oh my gosh, my brother used to make boxes, these boxes like that. These are so ubiquitous. Like everybody has one of these boxes. But I didn't think about it being a receptacle. A, rece- a modestly guess- priced receptacle. There, there you go. They do have extra small. It's $9. Okay, so the, the small ones are very sadly typically for sharing or right. infants. Yeah. I didn't realize they come in sizes. Yeah. You can get extra small all the way to large. But what's nice is the functionality of this box because it has a nice pull-out bottom for scattering. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? Like so that you can, instead of, you, there's something weird. awkward about pouring out. Yeah. But this well, has yeah, like a open. because, you know, the dude's going to get covered in the ashes. Right. Like that's yeah. just, you know, I love how he, <laughs> po- he hits the bottom of the uh-huh. can. Just make sure it all got I out. I love how the dude's just like standing there like. Just. Yep. This is what's happening. Donnie <laughs> is all over me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I man. didn't really realize that there were like sizes. There's, you can get like jewelry, which I think is a little weird and morbid. You can get jewelry. You can get your 
you can be made into different diamonds. things. Diamonds and records. Yeah, and you can be planted as a tree. Yeah, that's really expensive, though. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? It's I really, heard it was very expensive. It's really expensive to be able to make yourself a tree. Mm-hmm. Just donate me to the body farm. I have to tell my husband that. <laughs> like, just to, you know, let me help self-crime. That's fine. But most uh, adults would probably need a large urn. So for every pound of weight would give you approximately one cubic inch of cremated ash. Wow. Yeah, okay. which I was more bigger than I thought. Yeah, me I guess, too. I guess you, I don't know. I guess ashes are fluffy. I guess I, so. I don't know. But a large urn will typically hold anywhere from 135 to 400 cubic inches. So most adults are going to fall in that range. Hmm. I would say if you feel, if you find yourself in need of ordering yourself a urn last minute, err on the side of large. Yes, because that's the last thing. You don't want to have like leftovers. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. And you can, of course, there's different things like you can get um, eco-friendly ones that biodegrade, which is actually looking at it, what my father-in-law was in when we... Oh, okay. He was returned. Right. So you almost bury the ashes. Yeah. And let it... Yeah, you can. All right. So next time, we're, we're going to do another Netflix film. I know we said we were going to try and get away from this, but this one looks really interesting. So it's very super crime and entertainment related. It's a documentary called Long Shot. And there's a man who's arrested for a murder that he didn't commit. I know everybody says that. But he it's how he goes about trying to prove it because he was at right. a baseball game where they were filming footage for an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he's combing through this footage trying to find an image of himself to prove that he was at this baseball game. So yeah. I think it'll be really interesting. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. It'll be good. It'll yeah, be good. I think so. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod. You can find us on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. Or you can send us an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. Have you gotten a weird email? Ooh, yeah. I want to know if you've gotten For a weird somebody email. Else, have you, what is your obsession? Did you, are, are you like Jackie? And do you love raisins? With, do, do you, you love, love them? Do you love them to the, <laughs> the point where it's a danger to yourself or others? Seriously. And don't forget to go on there and let us know how we can cover the fifth element. Oh, yes. Rationalize Please. it for yes, us. Yes, rationalize we it. we got to watch this. Because we really, we really want to. And yeah. we, I, you know, I'm really usually pretty good at this, but I need a little help. Yeah. So help us out. Help us out. Okay. All right. So we'll see you soon. Next time. Forge audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.